As I was coming back from Romania on, on Monday uh, from the conference uh, where I was speaking uh, in Bucharest, I had to go through the, the passport control gates at Heathrow. Now, these days, uh, if you've not been through them, whatever reason, you may not have had to travel for some time, uh, internationally at least, the gates are, are essentially automatic. And so as long as you can scan your passport correctly, and of course don't have any flags on your record, uh, you just get to go through right directly through the gates. And so as I stood in line watching the people in front of me, a number of them, for reasons unknown to me, uh, not really concerning, were were flagged at these automatic gates uh, that they need to visit the counter to speak to someone. Now, as they get this message, seek assistance, uh, you could see confusion, worry, and frustration cross onto each one of their faces. And the, the first thing that each of them did was to look around to see if there was someone who could help them. And the point is that when we are in trouble, in whatever degree that might be, one typical first reaction is to try to get help from someone else. We presume that another person has better insight or authority to be able to handle our situation with more precision and less trouble. There's always someone higher up the ladder, at least in a given circumstance, to whom we can appeal. And so we hope that this person, more fully equipped than we are, will intervene on our behalf. Now the thing is, from the perspective of a Christian living before God, uh, most of our life is a matter of standing at the passport gates being told that there's a problem. And we live moment by moment aware that something is wrong but not knowing how to fix it or even what next step to take. And the Christian life is mostly about looking around for someone to fix it or uh, someone who can give us direction, someone who can intervene on our behalf. And when we're thinking properly as Christians... We know the person to whom we need to appeal is God. And the question for us then is, is how, and really in another sense why, do we look to him for this sort of help? Now, as I mentioned already in the evening sermons, I've been exploring the ordinary means of grace. So God has appointed these features of creaturely life as the vehicles that he has promised to, to work on us. He's promised to use them to work on us and uh, work in us spiritually. And so, in the sense of just like we use a hammer to drive nails into wood rather than directly putting them in with our hands, uh, well, so too God uses ordinary means of grace to accomplish his purposes for spiritual growth and, and nourishment in his people's lives. So our Westminster Shorter Catechism 88 tells us that the outward and ordinary means of grace are Christ, uh, whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially word, sacrament, and prayer, all which are made effectual to salvation for the elect. Now, we, uh, in the evenings, have already considered how God's word, both read and in preached forms, is the primary means 
whereby he works in his people's hearts and lives to, to create and to strengthen faith and, and holiness in us. And we also considered how the sacraments are effectual because they deliver the words, same message in a tangible form so that God gives us the gospel both in forms that we can hear and hold and know Christ in his resurrection power in both manners. Now this morning and this evening, we're going to round out this series by reflecting on that last one, namely prayer as a means of grace. Now, I'll actually be surprised if many of us have thought about prayer as a means that God uses to apply Christ and his benefits to us. It's not to say many of you haven't thought about prayer as something God uses, but prayer as a means that God uses to apply Christ, to give us Christ and his benefits. I think the most popular illustration of prayer right now, at least, is this kind of wartime walkie-talkie point. Without saying that this illustration is wrong, I think it it turns prayer a little bit in more into a tool to get God to do something for you than a means that God uses to do something to you. In other words, it, it can be a more man-centered understanding of prayer, whereas I want to present to us uh, today a thoroughly Christ-centered view of prayer, something whereby we strive after Christ. So the illustration that I think I prefer to, to use today would be that of a straw, a drinking straw, not, not the kind of stuff you put on the floor of a barn, uh, a drinking straw. So Christ and his benefits is that delicious liquid or just simply nourished water we need contained in the delivery system of word and sacraments. And prayer is that little tube we use to drink deeply of Christ himself and the benefits procured for us. If you'd prefer a more nostalgic illustration, you could think of a spoon taking ice cream out of the cup of the covenant of grace. Whereas the wartime walkie-talkie portrait depicts prayer as about getting something from Christ, my point is that prayer is about getting Christ himself. And so Shorter Catechism 98 says, Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, of confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Now, admittedly, just as a, as a way of preface, I guess, some even within our tradition have questioned whether we ought to think properly about prayer as a means of grace in the strictest sense. And their rationale for that is, questioning is that the word and sacraments are seem a bit more objective, displaying the gospel realities more fixedly, but prayer is a bit more subjective and personal. So the purpose of this morning is to defend in principle that prayer is a means of grace. And then this evening we will look more specifically at particular uses, particular practices of prayer. So the main point, main point, is that God uses prayer to work for, in, and on 
his people to grant Christ to them. God uses prayer to work for, in, and on his people to grant Christ to them. We're going to think about this in three points. A means of peace, a means of perseverance, and a means of practicing our faith. So first, let's think about prayer as a means of peace. And in this point, aims to achieve two things simultaneously. Uh, namely, one, to help demonstrate that something, that prayer is something that God uses to apply Christ and His benefits to His people. And second, second, by exploring what one of those effects are. One of those benefits are when we pray. So for this point, let's think together about our passage from Philippians. So specifically, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Now I think it's important here to see that the uh, the context for this whole little section here is Paul's exhortation to rejoice in the Lord always. Right? That, I believe, is the governing consideration for all that he said in this little paragraph. Hence why he repeats himself for emphasis. Again, I will say, rejoice. And then Paul explained what it looks like in practice to rejoice in the Lord and how to achieve it. And so in practice, rejoicing in the Lord looks like let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word here for reasonableness uh, kind of has some connotations with with gentleness, kindness, and forbearing, patience, you might say. So in other words, when your joy is in the Lord, it manifests itself by treating other people well. There's a critical connection here. Right? When, when our joy is not in the Lord, well, what is the way that we tend to interact with others? We use them to obtain our joy, don't we? We run over them at work, using them as a stepping stone to achieve better things. When our joy is not in the Lord, we belittle others so that we might feel better about ourselves and our gifts. If we have an inferiority complex, constantly obsessing about being perceived as more capable than others, it likely suggests our joy is not in the Lord who gave us gifts To serve, not surpass others. And when our joy is in the Lord, we do not need to seek control, outdo, or manipulate those around us, but can show our reasonableness in gentleness, kindness, forbearing by treating others well. And so we see the effect or the the practice of rejoicing in the Lord. And now we need to see how Paul tells us to achieve that rejoicing. So we see what it looks like. How do we get there? And he reminds us that the Lord is at hand. In other words, God is near to you who belong to Him in Christ. You are not separated from Him, but you are bound to Him as closely as your hand is to your body. He is within reach for those who trust in Christ. So knowing that the Lord is at hand should put aside our anxiety so that, as Paul tells us, we don't need to be anxious about anything. 
There's a reason those are back together. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And we can then circle back to our opening anecdote about getting jammed up in the passport line looking for someone to help us, although the Christian life may be constantly full of this sort of moment. It's different, very different from being at Heathrow where help is hard to find and those in authority are far removed behind a barrier of glass. No, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is next to you. And when the passport gate of life tells us that there is trouble, God is beside you, giving you the strength either to try again or overcome the obstacles. He is the ultimate authority and is at hand, and so we need not be anxious. And then the next thing Paul says is striking. He makes a contrast that gets us straight to our point about prayer. He tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but, so instead of, what, what's the thing I, I'd rather you do in place of being anxious? In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Very simple, rather than worrying, pray. Worry, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, worry is talking to yourself about something you cannot change, and prayer is talking to God about something He can change. And so we ground our joy in the Lord, expressed in gentle reasonableness, in how the Lord is near to us, and so we can go to Him in prayer rather than worry. And now we come to this this big payoff, actually. Not that there's not been enough here already, but this big payoff that shows how God uses prayer to do something to us. Paul writes, and, and in this context he means the result of praying rather than worrying is... So the result of praying rather than worrying is that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Put that another way, God uses prayer to fill us with peace. We may not understand how, and I I don't have the answer for how that works other than God has promised to do so. And that's okay. But it is the common Christian experience. I believe it's mine. To be filled with dread, pray, and to be left more at ease. We talk about leaving things with the Lord. And we do that in prayer. We have left it with the Lord who is above us. And God uses our prayers as the conduit at least to apply the benefits of Christ, namely in peace to us. Romans 5.1 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Shorter Catechism 36 says that the benefits in this life that accompany justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein until the end. 
Paul said that in Philippians here that by prayer we take hold of at least some of these benefits because God channels them to us through prayer, which like a straw drinks of Christ to remove worry, establish joy, and grant peace as a means of peace. That brings us to then to our second point, that prayer is a means of perseverance. Means of perseverance. So we've, we've seen then how, how God used prayer to work within us to bring us more settled assurance and ground us more thoroughly in the realities that help us to live the sanctified life more effectively. And now, this point looks at how God uses prayer in the wider scope of the means of grace, namely, as we saw in, in, at the beginning in Shorter Catechism 88, making it effectual to the elect for salvation. Now certainly, I do not mean in the revivalist sense of walking the aisle to pray the prayer, that one, that one special prayer that God hears to save us. We bring no works to God, including even a single prayer that warrants salvation. God hears no prayers from an unbeliever as we must be in Christ to have a hearing before the throne of grace. And so God hears the prayers of believers. Nonetheless, God does use prayer in the lives of his people as a conduit to hold us fast to Christ and his benefits. As, again, we considered the catechism said, perseverance therein until the end. So that God furthers us in aspects of salvation that continue to grow throughout this life, which is an important point to consider, right? Justification as our right standing before God is fixed and unchangeable. It cannot be overturned, as is our adoption into his family. When you are made the child of God, it is a done deal. Sanctification our growth in godliness, uh, as well as those other subjective benefits we, we noted uh, just a moment ago, do indeed not only increase, but need to increase and develop until we join Christ in glory. And to connect these points to prayer, let's give our attention to Jude, verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, I hope, uh, especially if you're here, particularly if you were here with us, you remember from our sermon series on Jude that this letter is about the contrast between true believers and false teachers with those whom they perhaps deceived, uh, living within the covenant community. They have infiltrated the church with false teaching. Jude's central exhortation uh, for the whole of the epistle was to contend for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. But then his climactic uh, application within that exhortation was here in verses 20 and 21. 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, I think there's a couple of questions that come out of that sort of exhortation, and we'll just note that I've only quoted Scripture uh, as we explore it. But one of the very interesting things about this is that surrounding that application, that central exhortation, keep yourselves in the love of God, are three ways to accomplish it. So Jude tells you how to do this. Notice, notice that none of them are try harder or perform some good works. That's not what Jude says at all. Jude's way to keep yourself in God's love, ways uh, to keep yourselves in God's love, are, one, by building yourself up in the faith, which harks back to the ministry of at least word, if not also sacraments, the faith, the delivered faith in the word of God. Two, by praying in the spirit, which is obviously the one under consideration for us. And three, by waiting for Christ's mercy. Critically for our point, praying in the spirit, which is just Christian prayer, is a means by which we keep ourselves in God's love. Now maybe you're thinking that sounds more like our work than something God uses to work on us. Which is why we read the whole of Jude's letter, actually. Because if we jump back up to verse 1, he addressed this letter. To the note, note that our exhortation before us is keep yourself. He addressed the letter to those called, beloved in God the Father, and kept. Passive voice, right? Kept for Jesus Christ. In other words, God is the active agent keeping us in his love, using means that we execute, like word, like sacrament, and like prayer, like preaching, reading, eating, and praying to preserve us. Leaving prayer as a means of perseverance. And that brings us to our final point. A means of practicing our faith. Means of practicing our faith. Now, I think a major question that most believers have is how to live out their faith. Usually meaning that they think Christianity is supposed to reshape every single thing we do. And to tie that question back to our first point, well, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, because this is the will of God for your life. He again backed prayer up against rejoicing, as we saw even in Philippians 4 already, confirming that the joyful Christian is a praying Christian. And I think that's one of the first questions we might ask, is if we don't know the joy of the Lord, are we asking Him for it? Then Paul concluded that God's will for your life, I think that's one of the other ways that we put this, God, what's your will that I might do? And Paul tells us, rejoice and pray. It's not rocket science, is it? It's not to say it's easy. 
but it's not difficult. It's not complex. And so God's will for your life is incessant prayer with joy and thanks. If you want to know what God would have you do in any situation, literally all circumstances, the answer is to pray. God's will for your life is prayer. The way ahead for each and every Christian is prayer. And the way that Christian faith addresses every aspect of your life is at least, at least, leading you to pray more about it. And prayer is then perhaps the primary expression of the Christian life. And that is critical, in fact, because it shows how our doctrine and salvation are not something else other than our practice. It's not like we get saved, learn some Christian things, then are prepared for the Christian life as something other or the next tier up from the basics of the gospel. And why is that? Because remember where we started, right? That prayer is a means that God uses to apply Christ and his benefits to you. Prayer is to drink of Christ. Prayer is to take hold of the Savior as a practice that is simultaneously a blessing. And so we see perhaps more clearly than ever before why Martin Luther would say, I have so much to do today that I need to spend hours in prayer. Prayer is not an expendable luxury, nor an add-on to the Christian life, nor an activity just for when you need something. It is a link to Christ himself, the Christ who died and rose to give you peace with God. It's an amazing thing that our marvelous and loving God would personally come to us in in and by our very cries for him. Let's pray. Lord, indeed we know each of us no moments where we must cry out. And we rejoice that in our crying out, you come to us. You give us the very Lord Jesus Christ whom we need. And so we are thankful that prayer is not superfluous talking to the ceiling. Prayer is not an extra pious activity. Prayer is to take hold of our Savior and to drink forcefully of him and his blessings. We are glad that you have given us means that incorporate every aspect of our creaturely existence. The word by which you address our ears and even our eyes 
as we read, as we hear it read and preached. The sacraments whereby you address our smell even, our taste, our touch. Prayer, where you give us Christ even as we speak to you. We pray that you might, in these moments even, help us to love to pray. Because there we find Jesus. We ask that you might reinvigorate our prayer meetings. That the people of LCPC would be eager, beating down the physical or virtual doors of our prayer meetings that we might gather to receive Christ. That you might energize our personal prayer to know that these are not fruitless efforts, but indeed moments of communion with the God of the universe in the Lord Jesus. And so we bring to you things that are on our hearts with thanksgiving that you hear us and in supplication that we might find peace. We do pray for Pastor Andy as he preaches in Ilford. We pray that you might use even him uh, in these moments, perhaps even as he's preaching right now, to build up those people, to bless them. We pray for the health of our congregation, both in a physical sense. We do know that there are needs upon our hearts for ourselves, with medical conditions for family members who have experienced tragedy, loss. Spiritually, we pray for our health, that you might build us up and nourish us, that we might be more grounded, assured of your love and equipped for holiness. We pray for the leaders of LCPC, that you might sustain them in all that comes before them and give them wisdom to handle every situation well and to guide this congregation into the next days of its ministry and witness here in this great city. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.